1: Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. I am your host, John McTagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. Uh, Mario, it appears that uh, you work at Rotowire. Are you just uh, decked out? Did, did you just get some free merch?
2: Oh well, uh, <laughs> so it's it's a stupid story, but uh, for, for the people who are just listening to the podcast and don't stream this, uh, I'm wearing a Rotowire hat. Uh, normally I wear like a brewer's hat if I'm wearing a hat, but uh, I put my, my brewer's hats, the two of them, two different colors of them in the wash because they're disgusting. It's summer here. <laughs> I've been wearing them too much, but I'm also, I was, I'm stupid and too lazy to finish tasks. So I forgot to do the laundry. So they were sitting there and I just came to the office without a hat, but I had to sh- uh, shave my head recently. I don't get haircuts. Like the uh, last haircut that I got was like in 2007 or something like that I always just it. I wait basically like two points in a year and just shave off my hair entirely and then it grows <laughs> back and eventually I need to cut it again but I just cut it and um particularly in these lights it's a bit bright and I, I wasn't going to go hatless for this particular episode so I grabbed this rotowire uh almost like a prop hat really that we keep around like the, the memorabilia and stuff and uh it's mine now
1: Uh, We could have, you know, tried to hook you up with some spider tack to, like, put on your head to to reduce the uh, the glare or something,
2: catch uh, more lint. Yeah,
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Um, Speaking
2: of uh, memorabilia, and for all those people watching, it's like I I found all these. My mom found and and sent to me all these these old cards that I got from. uh, Look at that. Nineteen (laughs) ninety nine. That's that's a Tim Couch tops finest with the.
1: Oh, Stupid mama!
2: The lim- Elimination thing still on it. Yeah, I noticed uh, these these things aren't worth so much apparently anymore. Uh, th- that they're not um, like this. This Fred Taylor rookie card. It says fifteen dollars. Oh. Uh, not so much anymore. Maybe in like two thousand <laughs> or something. But uh, as I understand it, the, if you get them graded by PSA and they're a ten, that that opens up a whole new you know, realm of possibility. So uh, uh, Marvin Harrison right here. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking we got some PSA 10s here, John, and uh, we can probably start some sort of, uh, you know, delightful fund of some kind with the with the proceeds of that. And uh, yes. make a lot more money or buy lots of treats with it, something like that.
1: Yeah, buy, buy more entries to, to, to uh, best ball and, uh, I don't know, uh, go the, on riverboat gambling trips.
2: Got the Ron Dane for Nick Whalen whenever he comes in next. You can have that, Nick listening to this
1: of course of course and I, I still got the uh, the DJ Moore Maryland card uh that that you uh, gifted to me oh, so so graciously yeah,
2: temporary card obviously I got that because I was like trapped in a Milwaukee mall for like four hours and just bought a box out of boredom <laughs> but, uh, these are all from yeah 1999 era 2000 back when football was really good
1: that, I agree golden age i mean jamal lewis just running through people just being being a top 10 pick i mean can you imagine these days <laughs> the people would go
2: they took him at the top 5 after like right after he tore his acl at uh, tennessee too so uh yeah
1: did thomas I jones imagine... go right before him too um, or right after that
2: might be right i can't remember exactly but that would that sounds about right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man, uh, the golden years. I uh, used to go to the raven Stadium uh, when the draft was like basically all one day, except for a little bit on Sunday. Yeah, and just run around on the field and like I don't know, throw football as hard as I can at at some inflatable thing. Good times. Um, but so concludes our, our card breakdown uh, segment uh, of the uh, Rotowire NFL podcast there's some news to get into Mario. There's been a lot going on this week. I want to start things out with some quarterback battles that have been settled Um, starting back to to Monday night. The Jaguars obviously did not look great and we'll we'll get to the ETN stuff here in a little bit, but even still um, Trevor Lawrence, uh, shockingly, shockingly uh, still uh, wins the quarterback job uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So uh, your thoughts on that.
2: Well, it must have been close, John, uh, for it to come this close down to the wire. Uh, what, what can you say? Uh, Gardner Mintry must be almost as good as Trevor Lawrence. Uh, maybe Trevor Lawrence is bad. Uh, I don't know. I actually don't really think much of it at all. I think Urban is probably a goofy guy. Uh, he probably has some silly ideas about how he should do this new job of his that isn't especially similar to his last one. So he's, he's probably you know, flailing a bit, trying to figure out how to establish authority and and coming across as like a serious uh, manager of, you know, his workers, I guess they are now. I don't know what he meant to do. It it seemed to mostly just confuse people and alienate people. And uh, I guess it could have hurt Trevor Lawrence's preparation somewhat, getting some amount of reps with the number two team instead of the number one. I guess we'll see. I still don't really care that much. Uh, for fantasy purposes, just because I thought Lawrence and his pass catchers were already priced as if we were assuming this was a less than well-run team, yep. uh, I think for their cumulative talent they were going a bit later uh, than peers for similarly projected offenses. Or I don't know, I, that, that's how I saw it anyway. So um, yeah, I, I definitely am not an Urban Meyer fan. That's not why I'm high on the Jags. Uh, just has to do with you know talent and uh, the price, I guess, for now anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm starting to to go back to where I initially felt about the Urban Meyer hire. And and obviously like you can't fully base things off of a preseason or anything like that. But man, he they're not g- deserve a benefit of the doubt. They're, it's fine. Yeah. The, and you know, even though they talked about it on the broadcast how they have the easiest opening month of of the season of any NFL team. I think they're still gonna go on four. And I think that we're going to start to see a situation brewing come November, where like, if the, if the Jags are like still hunting for their first win or their, or their second win by that time, I don't know if urban can handle it. He looked like he was already like back to the sidelines in college park when Ohio state almost lost to Maryland his last year at, at Ohio state, just like that level of freaking out on, on Monday night in a preseason game. So I, I, I'm back to being fully on, on the thought that this urban experiment uh, in Jacksonville is probably not going to last beyond this year. And I won't be completely shocked if he doesn't even make it the whole season.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm not really inclined to uh, try to figure out anything in particular from preseason stuff. So um, him, strugg- his team struggling in a preseason game, uh, I guess he could have been sincerely mad about it, distraught about it. I still don't really care about preseason stuff. Like to me, the cause for concern around urban Meyer just has to do with things we already knew about him before the preseason and things that we have reason to believe are true about him. So preseason at like these, these preseason spectacles with him and the Jags looking bad to me, that's just kind of like a reminder of what you should have already known. And I don't know if it's a reason to like up the level of concern that already could have been sort of accounted for, but We'll see. I mean, I I do not think the guy was a good hire at all. I think Shad Khan is a imbecile. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a it's not a good process that led to this outcome. It's not like there's a sound basis for any of this. Even if it does work out, it's kind of by dumb, you know, just just random luck, really, because Khan didn't know what he was doing and he, he doesn't do- doesn't have any qualifications to handle, you know the the hiring of a coach or whatever and yet he just locked on to urban meyer right away it was just sort of right up front like we're gonna pay whatever it takes to get urban meyer and it's a weird that's a weird carpet to pull out for urban meyer it's like I, I get maybe trying to recruit him to the nfl but it's not bill parcells or something what would he bringing out all these you know trying to tempt him in with new facilities even it's just just ridiculous and yeah it's no. something only a dumb guy <laughs> thinks of
1: yeah, he's not Jimmy Johnson either. I mean, we, we've seen we've seen great college coaches totally fail at, at this level, and you know, if if you can, there, there are certain qualifications or certain qualities that, that certain college coaches could probably bring over to the NFL. But Urban always felt like a guy that was distinctly cut out for college. So yeah. um, I, I consider me skeptical, and that that uh, yeah. that that uh, that strength coach hiring right off the bat that that they had to walk back was a pretty. Uh, bad sign. I thought so. That was insane. Uh, <laughs> not good. Okay. Um, let's get on over to another battle that has since been settled since we last talked. The Broncos ended up going Teddy Bridgewater. Um, so I, I had kind of been under the, or I had been thinking that drew Locke, despite his warts. I've, I felt like his ability to, to at least try to push the ball down the field might be something that, that opens things up for, for this offense. Obviously, the Broncos and Vic Fangio felt a different way. And, and Bridgewater, of course, uh, outperformed him uh, thus far in camp and, and in preseason. So, I mean, it's not like the craziest thing in the world to, to happen to me. Um, but I feel like we, we know what Teddy Bridgewater is at this point, and he's a pretty good quarterback. And maybe that's just enough for the Broncos at this stage with the rest of the roster being as good as it is. And, and you know, Locke, while he might have the more theoretical upside Bridgewater his floor is is so much higher he's not going to just straight up lose you games the way that Drew Locke can so the more I thought about it the more it made sense I'm not like over the moon about it but I still I still think that the Broncos skill guys particularly in the passing game are guys to target I've felt like they've been kind of underpriced in ADP um, all along and I think Jerry Judy is going to have a massive season regardless of who's back there
2: yeah, I think this could be good for Jerry Judy. It might not matter, really. Like, it, I think he was going to be fine either way. Yeah. Uh, but there is definitely something to be said for the sort of reliability that Bridgewater offers. It's not necessarily a desirable reliability. Like, a, you're looking at a lot of field goals with that guy, but at least you're looking at field goals with Locke. You're looking at a whole host of natural disasters and. He does make good plays that Bridgewater can't, and I guess, you know, specifically thinking velocity, distance of the passer. Uh, m- m- he's got to be a better athlete than Bridgewater, but Bridgewater, I didn't even know this until a couple days ago, but uh he ran for quite a bit last year and was really good at it. I don't think he's especially fast. Locke can actually run a little bit, um, but in any case, Locke is just, uh, he's too much of a coin flip with all of his passes. It's, it's not good for you know the it's good to have the big playability of course it's not great to have uh the sort of impotent quarterback play that Bridgewater will likely give them but Drew Locke is so unstable and so unreliable that he can kind of even if you have a great defense that's keeping you in the game which they might have Vic Fangio always gets his players to overachieve adding Pat Sertan to that corner rotation uh having, having Darby and Callahan there and there was somebody else that's pretty good if I remember right so that's, that's a lot of secondary talent. They've, they've got some people to pass rush with, some depth at outside linebacker. If that defense is as good as it looks like it could be, then they will have kind of the luxury of kicking field goals. And it's it's going to be like, as long as Bridgewater gets Judy the ball, and they're, they're moving the chains a little bit here and there. Maybe they get to the red zone and he can't seal the deal there. But even if so, they, they might have gotten further than Locke. And the defense, again, kind of, it's not going to, perfectly protect Teddy Bridgewater, but it reduces the number of scenarios where he gets on the field feeling the need to score this drive and catch up this drive because, you know, maybe maybe he just can't do that, but Locke isn't guaranteed to be able to do that, and there's a lot of reason to believe Locke will do the more standard median range kind of plays much worse, much cons- like very consistently worse than Bridgewater,
1: so. Right.
2: Yeah, 15 touchdowns in 15 games last year for Bridgewater, but he did have really good like completion percentage and yards per target numbers to his three lead receivers. So Joe Brady might've had something to do with that. And I'm not going to assume Shermer's as good as Brady, but it is if Bridgewater's tendency in that one aspect carries over here, then it's good news for all the Denver pass catchers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about, you know, what, what the kind of play to play expectancy for, for Drew Locke looks like compared to Bridgewater Um, Drew Locke ranked uh, in the fourth percentile in bad pass percentage last year. So 25% of his passes were, were marked down as bad passes. That's, yeah, that's fairly unplayable. I I mean, again, like that was only a second year. I think you can project some growth, but you know, if the Broncos want to kind of get that window opened right now and and get, you know, start competing, not, not necessarily for a division title, of course, but, Getting the wild card race, getting the, get a playoff spot, that kind of thing. Uh, Bridgewater probably does give them a better chance of that, even if it's not particularly exciting.
2: I, I think he could be pretty good because the running game isn't going to be dominant or anything. And yet they no. might just find themselves with the ball quite a bit. And it, you sit around long enough with guys like Judy and Sutton and Fant and Iquagmanum. I guess Patrick and Hamler look pretty good too. So if you just have the possession long enough with guys like that, someone's going to make a big play eventually. And they won't like like they could have almost like sort of a check down heavy offense function, like a one B part to the running game and, and just kind of be ball control uh, even while throwing quite a bit with a decent amount of spread formation. So I think it actually could work pretty well. And if, if Fangio gets the defense that he's capable of, they could be pretty tough.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's absolutely the case. We'll we'll see, but uh, yeah, that defense will be able to like kind of keep them in games for sure. There aren't many teams that are going to be able to to just uh, name their score against them, not with not with the personnel like you mentioned, and not with the the scheming up um, of a guy like Fangio. Uh, let's get on over to another quarterback battle that's not completely settled yet, but I think is pretty close to being sutured up. That's down in New Orleans. Um, so let's talk about you know the the presumption maybe at this point that that it should be or will be Jameis Winston Um, I think we both have kind of assumed that that would be the the uh, thing the way that things shook out this year but it seems to be crystallizing right now but it's been hard to predict what this offense is going to look like in general because they don't have Drew Brees anymore after you know 15 years and no Michael Thomas Adam Troutman gets hurt Monday night I mean we might be looking at marquez Callaway, wide receiver one for the first month know, plus of the season
2: sorry do we know when Traquan smith is supposed to get back I, he's just been like out of practice for like
1: six weeks <laughs> or something. Yeah, right yeah he's yeah um, he's doing the hollywood brown
2: well if he's back i think he is probably the number one receiver like i know calloway is doing well and i i liked Callaway enough as a prospect like i thought he would have made sense as a later round pick but he does not seem like a wide receiver one type to me i guess it's possible that Peyton can just make that happen when he wants to and maybe Callaway's his guy i guess we'll see um but yeah Traquan marquez Callaway. what can this team do but chuck it deep to those two and give it to alvin kamara underneath like i don't they have to their defense isn't even that good so they're gonna have to play catch up they're gonna have to assume that they're always a little bit behind the curve in when in these games this year because they they kind of suck they don't have much talent
1: no, they, they really don't. It, I mean, it's been a situation where they weren't particularly deep at, at pass catchers at, at certain points during the last few years, but they just had so much dominant performances from guys like, like Michael Thomas uh, to where it didn't matter so much the, what their third receiver looked like or, or anything yeah. like that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a totally new new uh, era here in, in New Orleans. Uh, do we think that Jameis Winston is – going to be able to kind of not not necessarily tap back into what he did in Tampa Bay, but, but kind of evolve in, into a new quarterback under Peyton, you know, someone who's you're not worried about throwing a one pick six per week, that type of thing.
2: Um, I don't know. He's not in a great situation there. I guess the offensive line is good to be fair, probably a lot better than any offensive line he had in Tampa Bay. That's all that, aside from Peyton's play calling. Otherwise, I mean that that's all that this offense really has going for it. Um, as, as far as the quarterback is concerned, Kamara's great. I, I actually still like Kamara quite a bit. And I like Traquan Smith and Marquez Calloway, both as long as their prices stay reasonable. Cause I, I don't know who else is getting targets there. Um, but that's not to say their potential upside in fantasy is enough to carry Winston. Um, I guess it's worth considering, if we're not optimistic on Winston, we should probably be worried about the possibility of him getting benched, which would be, I think bad for the whole offense. Cause Taysom Hill is, you know, it's a wildcat offense. Yeah, so whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's the basic reality of it. It's like, you can't run a wildcat offense uh, unless you have a lead or at least, a, a, unless you have a really good defense and they don't have any reason to think the first will apply at many points this year. And the second, so there's just, uh, you know, you can't lose. You can't, Go in with uh, what did they lose? They lost Rankins at tackle. They lost
1: Janoris. Patrick Robinson Rankin. retired.
2: Yeah, their corners are pretty rough. But like that, Paulson Adebo might be starting, and he's athletic. But that Stanford pass defense was trash. So uh, we'll see. I I kind of think they're just gonna get, you know, they're, they're gonna be vaguely competitive. I think because of their line and because Peyton, I think anyway, is a good coach. But they're just they're just so weak personnel wise. And I think it it's a little hasty to go chasing Jameis Winston in drafts, I think, because even if things go relatively well for him, there's a pretty high probability that they're rotating in Taysom Hill in the red zone or something like that. So he might throw for 4,700 yards, but he might
1: only have like 18 touchdowns to show for it. Boy, that would be, that would be absolutely brutal. So, I mean, not that you're necessarily targeting quarterbacks at at this stage of of the end game, but you know, do you like Winston over a guy like Roethlisberger, Tyrod Taylor, uh Jared Goff, Carson Wentz? Tyrod,
2: Tyrod is one that maybe everybody should think about some more. Like, I don't even, I never thought he was good, but on that team, going to be behind all the time. He runs a little bit. I'm pretty interested in Tyrod Taylor, but uh I would probably also take Ben Roethlisberger over him. And I'm probably as low, excuse me, on Roethlisberger as pretty much anybody, so... That's that's saying something. I just I don't trust Winston to keep the job. And I am very much concerned that Taysom Hill, I don't know, scores half of the touchdowns between them, even though he only might play like a sixth as many snaps.
1: Yeah, it just kind of kind of ruins the whole deal for, for everybody for, from a fantasy perspective. So, yeah, that that's definitely a concern uh, to keep in mind. And then uh, one more uh, quarterback battle to, to get into. What's going on in your mind in New England? Uh, obviously, Cam Newton comes back today um, after being away from the team for a couple days. Um, what's kind of your expectation on on how this shakes out? Is is was the the idea of Mac Jones maybe somehow stealing this starting job? Was was that just noise in your opinion? What uh, what what are your thoughts uh, there in Foxborough?
2: Well, I don't know that it's like noise. I I, I think Mac Jones is probably good. So uh, I happen to believe all this time and still believe cam newton will be the starter in week one but that's not because i was thinking like oh mac jones just sucks so cam can't lose i thought no there's reason to believe cam will actually be pretty good in this offense and is maybe even uniquely suited to make the most of players like johnny smith and hunter henry especially like as much as i think mac jones is i don't want to say he's probably going to be good but i like his chances as much as i can a 15th overall pick really it's like i think he's got a really good shot. I don't think it suits him quite as much Newton to have that level of investment in those tight ends, at least when the best receiver is Jacoby Myers and the second best is Nelson Aguilar. Like I think when Mac Jones takes the field, the Patriots would ideally have slightly better wide receivers than they do because tight ends like Hunter Henry and John Smith are especially productive when you can play that Cam Newton run threat and you, you make the defense face these situations where they can't do more than guess. And if they're wrong, they can't really do much from that point about it. Uh, You want to not bite on the cam Newton run fake. Well, maybe he's not faking it and now it's first down and maybe it's a touchdown. So you defend it next time. It's not a run. It goes to Johnny Smith. He's not defended after the catch. So he goes 25 on you after the catch, that kind of stuff can't happen with Mac Jones because he's not running off tackle. So I, I don't dislike Mac Jones and I'm not expecting, I'm not thinking like, Oh, he's, He's uh actually bad. Like when I was I was among the people criticizing the hype around Mac Jones specifically, At 3 specifically in the context of going 3rd over Trey yeah. Lance, which I was like, no, it's that's ridiculous. Him going 15th, that's reasonable. I I thought he was going to go 12th or 13th wherever the 49ers originally were before they traded up. I was projecting them to take him there, so 15 is a good pick. I think he's you know, he's probably not quite as good of a prospect as Tua, but he's probably about as good. That's great. But Cam I think still is better than people give him credit for. And the the reports yesterday, um, let's see, it was Albert Breer chimed in a couple hours after Tom Kieran, I want to say his name was. So that first thing, and I saw some websites that beat writer believes Mac Jones has won the job to be fair to the beat writer, who I think took a little bit too much editorial Liberty. He didn't even say that he was just giving it. I mean, to be fair to him also, he was, kind of saying like i'm editorializing this is just what i think i -hmm. think mac jones should play and the headline was listed as like they believe that the competition's over and mac jones has won it and that's Mm -hmm. not quite what it said but i'm guessing on the basis of seeing that albert breer was like oh i gotta get in my take on this too and wow what a shock that he prefers mac jones um anyway i don't care what either of them think i'm waiting to see what belichick says and if you think about it it could be politically a bit difficult to start mac jones not the least of which being that cam newton is beloved by all the players that he plays with the locker room could be a bit alienated if uh, if cam doesn't get a his one shot this year at least and if you do start mac jones week one you are basically conceding like a playoff ambition for the season because you can't bench him or you can but that'll be a political mess too can you imagine yeah. like, mac jones gets two starts and it's they're 0-2, and it wasn't very good how he played, and Cam Newton starts, and I can't imagine the whining out of Boston area if that happened. So I think the way that they play this is they're they're just like happy to have Mac Jones. They're happy that he fell to the 15th pick. They're glad to take him, but they weren't specifically planning on it, and they didn't act as if this was going to be their, their whole approach. They planned on making Cam Newton the quarterback, and they're glad to have Mac Jones as another option if Cam just turns out to not be great or gets hurt again and the second thing in particular we have plenty of reason to think might happen so i think they're basically going to run cam into the ground or wait until he plays poorly and if he plays poorly they'll bench him but if he plays decently and they're competing they will not bench him and he could get hurt and if he does that's probably it but uh if you if you start mac jones in week one you almost might have to cut cam or something like that and i don't think i think belichick wants to win some games and i think he knows cam wins more
1: no, that's a yeah. That's a great way of, of summing it up. Yeah, the, there's a lot of a lot of things at stake de- depending on on this particular decision and specifically the week one uh, one. And you know, the, this week made things a little bit more complicated. We'll see how things go from here. But um, yeah, the, this I, I would I would still expect Cam at this stage to be the guy. But um, we shall see. Uh, before we get on to uh, some backfield situations that were shaken up over the last few days.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: So staying in New England, and welcome back uh, to our stream, people watching on stream. Um, staying in New England. So, Sony Michelle gets jettisoned over to the Rams. The Rams and, and specifically Sean McVay must have a thing for uh, former Georgia running backs with knee problems. Um, but either way, uh, Sonny Michelle is there. Um, so, before we get to the Rams, when it comes to New England, what are your thoughts now on, on Damian Harris? Um, is this a little bit more streamlined? Do we finally get a situation in new England where the backfield is actually not a complete headache for, for fantasy purposes, or, you know, does this elevate Ramondre Stevenson? Uh, I've seen strange amounts of, of JJ Taylor hype on the timeline, which uh, I, I would advise people to stay away from, but either way, um, go on. Uh, what, what's going on with, with your, your takes in uh, the new England backfield.
2: I don't have much of one really. I mean, I think Damien Harris is their best runner. I think on the basis of merit, he would play safely ahead of Ramondre Stevenson, uh, even be- even before considering you know the veteran versus rookie part. But Sony Michelle getting traded definitely put Stevenson closer to the field, and I think Stevenson's talented. The only thing I would wonder is, can he get you know versed, uh, studied up on his tasks, his responsibilities to the level that Belichick? requires which might be slightly more stingy than than most coaches because he already made healthy scratch rookie years for Damian Harris and James White both of whom especially uh, you know especially White n- not to take away from Harris but White really turned out to be a good player for them so it's not to think Stevenson is bad or whatever to, to think that he is unlikely to play this year but with Michelle traded I think it changes from unlikely point blank to play to unlikely to play unless Harris gets hurt. but I, did, I think if Michelle had been there, even if Harris had gotten hurt, Stevenson probably wouldn't have played and whereas like now if he does, I, th- I think Stevenson does play. If that happens, I could imagine Stevenson doing pretty well like if he if he struggles, I would guess it has something more to do with just a you know blitz pickup or something like that. If he has the ball, I think he can run pretty well with it.
1: So do you think in terms of like applying you know the, those previous cases of these Patriots rookie running backs really not seeing the field? Could that be a bit of a Brady thing, uh, and, and now we have like a, a just a different era where we don't have a quarterback that's just as picky with with what their running backs next to them do? Um, to where you know maybe this is a little bit different when it comes to Stevenson.
2: I guess it's possible, but I mean, oh, sorry that that was my bad. Um, I I I know that I just mentioned Damian Harris and uh, James, James White. White as examples of rookies not playing but they also had sony michelle as a rookie and they put him on the field right away and that showed that they could be pushed toward that outcome by like political necessity basically like the we have we took this guy in the first round we got to
1: yeah right
2: bill you're, you're making a special exemption for this guy uh so they they can they could get a rookie on the field if they really wanted to i i think and it's it's like just not in Belichick's inclination to do that as soon as some other coaches might. That's just, I think either way though, it'll take an injury and if they take it in, if if Damian Harris does get hurt, then Belichick doesn't really have the luxury of worrying as much about, you know, the, the dots over the eyes. Like he just has to kind of, well, who's, who's here? Ramondre Stevenson. That's it. So you got to play then. But I just don't see, I mean, Damian Harris was a really good player at Alabama. And he started ahead of Josh Jacobs at Alabama for a reason, I think we can say in hindsight. Um, but you know Stevenson was really good as you know seven game starter at Oklahoma, but he, as a prospect, he's just not particularly close to Harris, and Harris is a veteran.
1: Yeah, no, that I mean that that's all that's all very true. I mean I, I like Ramondre Stevenson. I think that he's I like him too. Man. Right, and wouldn't wouldn't say that that you don't. And you know he he ran better than than Trey Sermon did the year that they, they were in that Oklahoma backfield. Uh, S- sermon obviously ended up at, at Ohio State, and you know, probably has a little bit more fancy relevance for this year. I think Stevenson is kind of, you know, limited as far as his complete skill set is concerned. but, you know, I, I, maybe that's crazy to, to think, and especially as a rookie, but, you know, he could be, especially if the Patriots are like that power run team. and I, I think that Harris can obviously fill those uh, the, these type of functions as well. but Stevenson being as as big as he is, he could just be that goal line hammer. I mean, six foot, 231 pounds. Like, you know, we, we've seen running backs of, of similar or uh, lesser talent, you know, score a, a bunch of touchdowns for for the Patriots.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean the LeGarrette blunt c- scenario was, was, uh, that was like his second year. And I think that's what a lot of people are thinking of with LeGarrette, uh, with Ramondre Stevenson is like, Hey, he looks like Blunt uh, blunt, but, uh, i don't know i just i i think he's capable if they call on him for it i just don't really know what impetus there would be aside from injury like i just i think it's true that stevenson would be good there and i i think if it comes up he'll do well there but in the meantime harris can do it too and uh i don't know it's just i I think harris is quite good and not likely to be worse than stevenson in any real respect
1: do you think – I'm in on Harris. I have a bunch of shares. I feel a lot better about having him on my team, uh, on on the Stake League team, uh, now than I, than I did on on Tuesday. And I still even then felt pretty good about hit, having him as my RB3. Um, but I don't, do you think Stevenson, at, at the very least, can return value at his current ADP for best ball, like around pick 186, that kind of thing?
2: Um there's i mean he's he's in that range he's he's a part of like a draft pool where nothing is really certain and upside is kind of difficult to discern so uh there are certain things with him that are discernible clear upside possibilities like the goal line thing being as big and you know powerful as he is he can catch passes so i guess i should have said at least uh not just Damian Harris, but if James White gets hurt, that could be a way for Stevenson to play in passing situations. And we still don't know for sure what they're, I'm guessing it's probably going to go to the tight ends, but Burkhead had some targets, some routes that are unaccounted for too. So uh, White probably won't pick up all of it. So th- th- there's a couple ways in uh, for Stevenson. And again, if he does get on the field, he's, he is a big guy who has really good contact balance and he's you know flexible and relatively quick and he catches the ball well. So you if you're that big and you can kind of take on volume and you can catch the ball stay involved in passing situations then you don't need to be like a big playback or anything and so i i think in best ball or anything really it makes sense because in a redraft league he makes sense as just a bench stash too because if harris gets hurt then and stevenson's a free agent somewhere then he's probably the top fab bid that week and yeah uh, if you can just get players like that in the late rounds i mean there, there are worse ways to go about it no, hundred percent. So
1: consider me intrigued by, by Juan Ramondre Stevenson, and and I think that this Patriots backfield, specifically the, those top two guys. Now, um, yeah, Michelle, I didn't really know what to think about necessarily for this season. He he hadn't really been on my radar, one way or the other. He just kind of felt like this vague potential annoyance, um, essentially. But but now he's gone, and now he gets to annoy the people that uh, went ahead and and got. Terrell Henderson with like a fourth or fifth round pick. So what are your thoughts like into the, the process that went into the Rams going out it going after uh, Michelle in the first place and just kind of how this backfield looks now, because it it did feel a bit so, like something untrustworthy essentially after cam Akers gets hurt. It's July training camp. Hasn't really started at that point. Uh, they're like, okay, we're just gonna, you know, use this time to evaluate what we have in, in Darrell Henderson, Xavier Jones, Jake Funk. It's like that's all well and good. And we we love to hear that there, that there's not going to be any further change as fantasy guys, but looking at it on face value, they weren't gonna go into the season with with two completely unproven guys and one pretty unproven guy um, as their as their backfield trio. So what what's up here?
2: I think uh, Daryl Henderson's still going to be the clear lead guy. Like, I, it, this is a boost for something Michelle's value. Like, he's he was he was probably going undrafted most of the time in most leagues, and now no, he's not getting out of the 18th. Maybe not even I don't know the 12th at this point. Not that I advocate taking him that early. It's just, that's just how these things tend to go. When, when visible news events like this happen, there's usually a, an overreaction in the ADP. So I'm guessing people are reaching for Sony Michelle and you know, it's one of those things at that point, if Henderson gets hurt, then yeah, you're glad you reached, I guess, but uh, I don't think he's going to outplay Henderson. I think it was just them kind of acknowledging that, you know, we like Henderson, but it's kind of unreasonable to expect him to play more than 60% of the snaps. So Sony Michelle is here to play 30 of them. And, uh, that's all it really is to me. I think it's a little bit weird of a trade though. Like i I thought it was a possibility like I named Michelle in, in the article back when Cam Akers tore his Achilles tendon talking about how I think they're going to trade for somebody, but I was thinking it would be, or if I were them, I would have gone after Royce Freeman or Jalen Samuels, because those guys would fit well with what they do with the Rams offense. And they could have kind of both rehabilitated their value right before they became free agents. Sony Michelle is going to be a free agent. And I think comp pick was part of their thinking and they were like, Hey, former first round pick, look at all the, look how first round picks get second contracts usually. And it's, it's better than going with uh, the fifth round or Jalen Samuels or the, uh, whatever, uh, Royce Freeman, late third, mid third, whatever. Uh, so I'm guessing that's why they leaned Michelle because they thought they would get a better comp pick, but, uh, guess what? You don't, you don't pay much in free agency with guys who have one knee left. So that's not really going to happen. And if they were, banking on that being part of the calculus then i think they might be a little disappointed but durability issues aside michelle is pretty good he's not like an awful player it's the, everybody's got a bitter taste about him because he was drafted too high and people got let down and some people took him over nick chubb and they're never going to get over that and that's all a legitimate trauma for the people in that situation i guess <laughs> but uh doesn't mean anything about michelle he's he's pretty good so i think he'll be pretty good it's just that so will Daryl Henderson and Daryl Henderson, if nothing else, is, I think, a little bit more proven as a pass catcher. Like, I think I think Michelle will do well with like the Akers type targets last year. Acres isn't really like a standout pass catcher either, but he was still productive because the targets that they set up are just scenarios where it's easy to just grab the ball and run. And Michelle can do that. He, he just, you know, if he hadn't cost as much as the Patriots spent on him, people would think more favorably
1: of him. Right. Yeah. I mean, m- Michelle last year, obviously career lows in, in carries by wide, wide margins. His first year under 200 carries didn't even make it to a hundred carries did average 5.7 yards per carry. So, I mean, when healthy, like to your point, he's still got some juice to him. It's just a matter of, you know, that, that health variable is, is tricky and it, you know, theoretically it could just get worse by the day. So yeah, I wouldn't expect him to, to take on m- much more than 30, 35% of the, of the workload like you were saying in terms of the snaps um but I, I think it also any sort of uh vague hopes for your xavier jones or, or jake funk shares uh, probably out the window
2: yeah uh xavier jones is playing special teams and jake funk uh i don't know probably doing the same thing i guess
1: <sighs> i'm still yeah i have like he, at least he's
2: pretty good I got t- <laughs> he'll stick around
1: I think so. Um, I I got I got a couple uh, late round darts of of Jake Funk, but, uh, you know, oh, well, fun while it lasted. Nonetheless, Um, before we get into some receiver talk here, we're going to talk some rookie receivers and and their ADPs on best or on underdog best ball. Uh, We have a couple words from our sponsors Uh, leading things off our friends over at Winbet. There's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire—it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decisions. So listen up, folks! I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet—the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire Fantasy Podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, moneyline bets. Boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. And if you want to break from sports betting, head into WinBet's digital casino, take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Winbet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 with your first wager. Download Winbet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. Winbet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's wires fantasy podcast. We also got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Are you tired of the same old fantasy football leagues that get canceled after a year or so? If so... Dynasty Owner has your back. Go to dynastyowner.com. New leagues for the 2021 season are forming now. Dynasty Owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office by incorporating a salary cap and real NFL player salaries for die-hard fantasy football fans that want the real GM experience. Dynasty Owner adds a whole new level of strategy. Are you worried you won't be able to find anyone to play in your league? Don't worry. Dynasty Owner can help you fill your league with fantasy football enthusiasts like yourself. You won't have to worry about finding enough players. You can choose to start a league, join an existing, or purchase a team from a previous owner. If you're serious about joining the big leagues, go to DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. That's DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire and start your dynasty today. All right, Mario, you are working on an article, uh, article series, really. Uh, you posted the first one earlier this week talking about the Jamar Chases and, and Jalen Waddles, uh, Rondale Moores of the world. Let's cut a little bit deeper here, uh, talk about your article that's going up on the site a little bit later in the week, talking to some of these rookie receivers. Starting things off, uh, let's go Amon Ra St. Brown in, in Detroit, just because I, I feel like he's an interesting case in the sense that I really liked him as a prospect. I know that he might have a bit of a, a, a cap ceiling to him, but at the same time uh, Detroit's depth chart ahead of him is just so gross that it, it feels like there's a pretty good chance that he's a contributor uh, right, right off the bat. So where are you with, I'm uh, St. Brown.
2: Yeah, he was a player who I had ranked quite a bit higher pre draft testing than post draft testing. Cause not just among the receivers drafted in the first four rounds but among any of the drafted receivers he had probably one of the worst like size adjusted speed scores was timed at 4.61 in the pro day 40 at I want to say like 197 which if you're running a 4.61 at a pro day which it might be like a 4.65 at the combine and if you're running that slow you want to weigh over 210 something like that you can get away with it the bigger you are especially uh he did to be fair <laughs> I think he did like at least above average with the agility testing and the jumps he did quite well. So he has sort of like a short area athleticism to work with. He almost might be as a prospect category. He might kind of be thought of like Tyler Johnson from last year, who uh, they're both really dominant college players, but they don't have the speed or size to threaten be a classic boundary threat, classic downfield threat, especially, So that tends to force you inward on the field where speed matters less because you're, you know, leveraging less space. So you can emphasize quickness at the expense of long speed. And in that part of the field, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, even if you were concerned about his lack of speed, it doesn't really apply in the slot there. He definitely can function. So the question is, does he get enough slot snaps to be competitive enough often enough? as a route runner to get the targets and the catches that we want. And I think it could go a few ways. He's I think up for the task if it's there for him, I guess that what I'm thinking is like, what, what level of, what kind of workload is really waiting for him? He can't really win reps outside. It's going to be Brashad Perriman. It's going to be Tyrell Williams. Quintus Cephas has been running ahead of him in two wide sets. So anytime there's two tight ends on the field, St. Brown probably will not be anytime there's fewer than three receivers on the field. That he probably will not be sometimes when there are three wide receivers on the field, he still won't be because one of those receivers might be Deandre Swift or TJ Hawkinson. So he's only able to get slot snaps this year, or I would guess anyway. And within that already kind of like a uh, narrow category, he, he has two pretty significant concerns in Hawkinson and Swift. I think, however, if either, of, if either of those guys misses time, and especially if it's a game where they're playing catch up a lot, then, you know, if they're going three wide, there's a good chance he's out there. And if he's out there, there's a pretty, I don't even think it's like a good chance. It's like a lock that he would draw targets per snap at a much higher rate than especially Perriman, um, also Tyrell probably. So, you know, if he, if he can get like 600 snaps, it wouldn't be shocking if he pushed for, you know, 80 targets. And if he gets 80 targets, he might catch 60 for 750 and five touchdowns or something like that. But I am a little bit. I don't know. It, I haven't gotten any shares on underdog, I guess I could just say, because okay. he was always going well ahead of Tyrell and Perriman. And at least in their format, the half point PPR, it, I I just prefer those two in a vacuum, let alone at a cheaper price. But uh, it's not because I'm eager to fade St. Brown's abilities. I'm just kind of like I'm not convinced that he's going to get enough slot reps to, to kind of give you the volume that you would hope for, for from a guy who's otherwise maybe efficient like I, I think he'll do a good job i just don't know if they'll need him to do it as much if, if swift and hawkinson are available
1: so um you know we going back to your concern about like the, that path to playing time do do we expect uh the the lions to be one of the more like two tight end heavy type of offenses that we'll see this year
2: uh not really i can't remember who even their other
1: tight ends i are. believe it's so. darren fells
2: oh fells will probably play jesse james isn't there is he
1: no he's somewhere else if I remember correctly well we know what
2: fells is he's just a blocker and like a I mean he, he he can do the end zone thing he's like Bubba Franks or something like that doesn't really do a whole lot between or rather before the 20 uh before the red zone but he will probably play because he's he's not a liability out there he's a good blocker if they want to run three wide with Hawkinson not playing in line then fells could in a way take that rep from Saint Brown if the alternative is Hawkinson just lining up at tight end in the first place and St. Brown getting the slot snap. So yeah, Fels is Fells is like a manageable uh, or I, I don't know what you'd call it, like a negotiable kind of obstacle for, for St. Brown. And I think that's what all these things are. It's like, there, there are ways he can get through. It's he definitely has a chance. Um, I would just want people picking him at, at ADP to kind of like be aware of that range of possibility. And I, I, I generally am a little bit lower on him, I think, than than most people because I don't see the upside scenario. Like I can see ways that he only plays like twenty-five snaps a game and just kind of gets four or five targets every week, but only catches, you know, three or four for 40 or something yards. Like I don't expect there to be touchdowns because it's a Jared Goff offense. So I, I don't really see the upside scenario that makes it worth my time. And I, I feel like I can get more uh whatever you'd call it, like start viable out outings from Tyrell, especially. Uh, and it's at a cheaper price. So maybe in full point PPR, it'd be a little bit different, but I'm not expecting touchdowns and I'm not expecting a whole lot of yards. Exactly. Especially if Swift and Hawkinson are available.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that, I think that that, that was a good setting of the record when it, when it comes to or setting the record straight when it comes to St. Brown and the rest of this Detroit offense uh, his ADP right now on underdog, one fifty seven point seven. So I mean, you know that uh, it's a reasonable enough for
2: me. Yeah, okay. I mean, I just I kind of I just feel I guess like Tyrell and him should not be far apart. Like I, I think they should pr- pretty much cost the same. But we'll see. Say Brown can play if they if they give him the work, he will probably do pretty good with it.
1: Okay, all right, that that definitely uh, checks out. Let's move on over to another uh, rookie receiver. This guy generating a bit more buzz, showing a little bit more flash uh, um, on his tape thus far, uh, Terrace Marshall. Um, so obviously we have a situation in Carolina where they got Robbie Anderson. They just extended him. They have DJ Moore. Uh, he's obviously a, a budding star. You get, you get Christian McCaffrey back. He takes up a lot of oxygen as far as those targets are concerned, provided he's playing a ton of games. So where does Marshall fit in? And like, how, how do you, you know uh kind of weigh out the two factors where where Marshall is like a very talented uh receiver that that definitely has the tools to be a productive guy as a rookie whereas the the just kind of stark reality of of so many or such a high percentage of targets going to three other guys right off the bat so
2: Marshall I think is definitely a good player I think it remains to be seen like what kind of good player exactly I don't think he's I don't think he's like a, he's definitely not a burner. He ran, he was timed at four, four flat at a pro day, which probably something like a four, four, five, which is pretty good, but he's also a bit skinny at six, three, two Oh five. So if you're six, three and under two you'd ideally be a little bit faster than that. But I think it's going to be enough that it's not a liability for his athletic grade overall, for the kind of functions that he projects for. And specifically I'm thinking like intermediate, if, if you're going in the middle of the field intermediate, you don't want it to be shallow. Like Lankier guy like him, a lot of what it made him effective in college, and he was extremely effective at LSU. Like he ran behind Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, of course, but he wasn't really less productive than them. And right. last year, with those two gone and Joe Burrow gone, obviously, he was better than ever last year. And that's pretty crazy because he took up a huge share of their passing production. Like you look at his per target numbers and his his just you know, per, per target, like yardage, catch rate, uh, touchdowns, everything it's all very good when you look at him. And I know I was surprised when I looked at the LSU baseline, it was like just garbage. Like it, yeah, he was, it was, he was rough, no one did anything except for him, really. I know that, I know that freshman Kayshawn Bout or whatever is really good, but uh, Ute, Ute, Ute. Uh, he's really good. And uh, with that said, not much was going except for Terrace Marshall before Terrace Marshall opted out, and Terrace Marshall was doing great. I, I was like. When I first looked, I looked at Terrace Marshall's box score before the LSU one, and I was like, oh, this next quarterback must be pretty good. And it's like, oh, no, actually, he was just way above the team baseline. And that's that's great to see. When a player takes on a bigger share of the offense and their efficiency doesn't suffer for it, that shows that they can, they can not just make some big shots, but they can make a lot of them. Like, even when the defense knows it's coming, they still make that shot. So Terrace Marshall showed he's got that level of skill, I think. And in the NFL, if you're using him in, again, like the sideline, the intermediate, the downfield, he should keep winning the way he has in college football. And he's, he's like a he's a good route runner. He's not he's not like a physical six three. He's more like a finesse six three, but he, he's good at it. He can he can cut up a defense over the intermediate. That's all great. The problem is, or at least like the, the confusing part of this for me as it relates to Carolina is their opening at receiver is believed to be in the slot. Like Curtis Samuel played the slot last year. Curtis Samuel's the one who left. That's what this opening, that's why it's there. But Terrace Marshall cannot run Curtis Samuel's 2020 routes. Like it's, I feel like it's out of the question, actually. Like 7.1 yards was Curtis Samuel's average depth of target last year. I, I don't think you want Terrace Marshall running less than a, I don't know, like 11 and a half average depth of target. It's not that he's bad underneath or something. It's just he's better further downfield. And as far as the underneath specific part goes, I think DJ Moore is definitely better and David Moore probably also better. David Moore kind of played a Curtis Samuel sort of role for the Seattle offense last year. And I think pretty clearly they were going into the draft with David Moore there because they were like, well, if we want to do Curtis's 40 carries in 15 games again, then David Moore can take some of those carries and he can take some of those short routes. Uh, but they also say, uh, signed Dan Arnold, and I think he's going to be a slot receiver. I don't think he's going to play a real tight end much at all, really. they would be like Colin Johnson playing tight end. Like they're the same thing, 6'6", 220. So I think he's going to play slot receiver, and especially in the red zone, you can imagine a guy tall as him getting involved. So the Panthers have options for filling some of this void that Curtis Samuel leaves. And while Terrace Marshall is probably easily their third most qualified receiver behind DJ Moore, and Robbie Anderson, it's not necessarily in that one aspect that he would be. It's like he would need to be used differently than Samuel did was last year. And ideally, he would get outside snaps, actually, and just kind of get out of the slot entirely, I think. So there's there's reason to believe between his production and his athleticism that he will be good. I think, though, that with with so much of his draft hype, or, you know, market being informed by these things like he's running from the slot, he's going to replace Curtis Samuel in the slot. That's that's like a theory that needs some specifying because they're gonna have to change the, the the general complexion of the offense. Like the slot routes, if they're gonna be his, need to be five yards further downfield than they were last year. And that could happen, but mm-hmm. I don't really see people grappling specifically with that and, and facing down the, the spatial reality of playing football on a field that is only so big.
1: No, that all excellent points, well taken. Yeah, he you know you can't just have him do what Curtis Samuel did, they're totally different guys. Um, So, yeah, maybe maybe the big slot beca- becomes the thing in Carolina if that's yeah. if that's what ends up happening.
2: Yeah, I hope they move DJ more into the slot more because he's so good after the catch and he could definitely take those Curtis Samuel carries. And Marshall's better outside than in the slot, so I think that's the best case scenario for the Carolina offense. Uh, if you if you invested in Sam Darnold, I would hope for basically those three receivers on the field somehow, and if if possible, Marshall more so outside, but. We'll see. There's a lot of, they have options. They can call it differently game by game situation by situation.
1: Okay. And uh, let's get on. We got time for one more. Uh, so we'll go to the nation's capital where Curtis Samuel now plays. Um, but looking at his rookie teammate, Diami Brown um, out of North Carolina, a, a deep threat speedster um, during his time there, like 20, 20 touchdowns. I want to say over his last couple of seasons at UNC, um, you know he kind of came into the year a little bit neck and neck with Daz Newsom totally blew him away that this past year um, obviously has has been generating a good amount of buzz uh, his ADP over on underdog uh, checking in at 178 um so what what's the latest uh on him and and you know I guess you can also maybe use this time to you know mention Curtis Samuel and, and you know his lack of of practice here so far
2: yeah so it's one thing to, to wonder what DME Brown is relative to Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. But if Curtis Samuel is just not on the field, then that's, that's a very different scenario. Like I, I think Diami Brown is clearly a good prospect. Like he's much better than Josh Palmer. He's much better than Tutu Atwell. he's much better than Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, none of those three should have gone ahead of him. So Washington got a steal where they got Diami Brown, but Terry McLaurin is a total, total monster and Curtis Samuel people have trouble kind of like getting a a solid conception of who he is as a player too, because last year he was only underneath and and getting jet sweeps. Whereas the year before everybody agonizingly watched him just get wide open 40 yards downfield, and Kyle Allen to just sort of feebly throw the ball to the other half of the field. That is confusing people because like they, they look at him assuming some people look at him going to Washington and think like, Oh, he's going to, Catch eighty passes for eight hundred and fifty yards again. It's like no, with Carroll. Sorry, with uh, Washington, he's going to run far downfield this year because Scott Turner has for some of his slot reps downfield, like long post routes. And Curtis Samuel is definitely going to run those, and he's definitely going to get open on those if he's healthy. I mean, Uh, so now with the groin thing going into like two and a half months of, I I don't know what. I don't know what's going on. It's not what you want to see, even if he's been on no. the field for week one. It's not what you want to see because Curtis has had some durability issues in the past too. So I was, I was concerned about Dami Brown's initial ADP kind of thinking like, Oh, he might get in here and kind of like stake out something and take it from Curtis Samuel. And I definitely didn't believe that. But if Curtis Samuel's not there limited, I do like Dami Brown. It's just, you know, it's, it's a high bar to reach. When you're talking yeah. players like Samuel and McLaurin and, if, he's, if Samuel's not there, then DM, is just a fast guy who scored a lot of touchdowns, you know, but yeah, it's a, it's a good thing Be- to
1: have before you finish uh, that out. We do have a quick word from our friends over at sleeper. What do your fraternity brother, Steve, Katie from work and your grandma all have in common. They're all waiting for that invite to your fantasy football league. There is no better way to hang out. No easier way to talk smack and no more customizable platform to host your fantasy leagues on this year than sleeper. Whether it's you have your redraft leagues or a dynasty league that has been around for 10 years, Sleeper has everything you need in one app. Incredible uh, commissioner tools and customizations, built-in messaging, support for snake draft, auction draft, and best ball drafts, blazing fast news, scores, and stats, all in a beautifully designed mobile app and website that makes every other app feel like horse and buggy. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy sports platform for a reason. And all the cool commissioners are switching to Sleeper and not looking back. Don't just take my word for it. Download Sleeper on iOS or Android and see for yourself. You have nothing to lose. It's free. All right, Mario, uh, finish it out here. Um, Just kind of give your your general expectation and, and, you know, the kind of distilled word on, on, on what you think of Deami Brown at his ADP.
2: I think he think he makes sense, especially the more we see Curtis Samuel sitting on the shelf. Uh, th- there's going to be three wide sets. It's not going to be like a two tight end offense. So there's going to be three wide sets. Damian Brown might be their third receiver anyway, but in the slot he probably can't beat out Adam Humphreys, at least not for the underneath routes. So if if both Humphreys and Samuel are healthy, I'm a little bit concerned about Brown getting a shot. But if he gets a shot, he's probably good, and he is good at getting open deep
1: if if Fitzpatrick is still
2: the, the chucker that we're used to that, that suits DME
1: Brown, totally fine. No, I, absolutely. It does. So so I'm hoping that he does get locked down one of those outside spots and they just, you know, set, send him deep, you know, so it might, you might be hard pressed to find that week to week to consistency for, for re, uh, redraft leagues, but for best ball, you know, he could have some absolute spike weeks that where he ends up finishing uh, in your starting lineup. That's going to wrap things up for this Thursday edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you again by our friends over at WinBet. Uh, we'll be back next week and Scott Genstad and Andrew Laird will be on tomorrow talking some DFS. Thanks for listening.
2: Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts.
0: No credit card required. Go to RotoWire.com forward slash try.